All right. Well, I'm excited to get going here, and we're going to have a little bit of an introduction this morning before we dive into our content. Um, well, I, I've been excited to do this um, for a long time. Um, I've actually kicked this idea around for several years of having a church history class. Now, that second word, don't let it scare you. Um, I want it to be uh, interactive. I want it to be fun. Um, I was a, before I am doing what I you know, do now, I actually started my professional life as a teacher. I was a social studies teacher, taught history, economics, um, AP geography, stuff like that. So this is very much up my alley. But um, what, I, what I'm really hoping to get out of this, first of all, I want to talk about what this class is not. Okay, there are two things that it's not. And I, I don't know that anyone really would have been aware of this had it not said it, but I want to bring it to our collective awareness. Um, first off is this. Uh, in our church, and in this, this church, we are obviously a Bible church, um, and we are not what are called evidentialists. In other words, we do not need the history of evidence, even though there is some, right? And we'll go through that in this class over several weeks. We do not need the evidence that has been placed in, uh, in, in earth or in history, throughout history, to, be, to come to a saving faith and knowledge in our Lord Christ. We, we do not rely on evidence. R opposed to that, on the other side of that, we are what we call presuppositionalists. We presuppose the word to be true. We presuppose God is who he says he is because he says it, because God says it, because he's God, because of his sovereignty, because of his eternality, because all that he is, he is, right? Um, and so first and foremost, we are believers in Christ, our faith given to us by Christ, right? That not of ourselves. If we go to Ephesians, we are not relying on evidence outside of scripture are you with me so far all that we're going to learn here in this class um, is historical it is evident um, but it is not what determines our faith so i want to be very clear on that all right any questions i'll pause if there's any questions on that those are two kind of buzzwords throughout you know more recent church history that evidentialist versus presuppositionalist positions we are presupposing that we've come to faith by Christ, right? Not in ourselves, faith given to us um, in his province through his election. Okay, now, one more thing that this class isn't. It is not in depth. You're going to feel like maybe it is, um, but I want to tell you that it's not. There are, there are we're going to go through kind of what, what, what I've sort of whittled down to be eight time periods, okay, eight time periods from Christ and the Apostles, okay, to April 23rd, 2023, okay, now that's interesting, you just, I want you to think about that for just a moment, just marinate on that for a second, the time most of the scriptures, especially New Testament, were canonized or were agreed upon by our church fathers to be included in the Bible, and things not like the Apocrypha, which we'll actually get to that too, most of church history is post-New Testament. Have you ever thought about that? So, 
how in the world, how in the world do we sit here today in class, have church the way it is, the way it's prescribed, the way we do church today, and how has that providentially been preserved through the ages? How did it make it through the apostolic age without TV and internet? And how did it make it through a Catholic age um, in which there was massive persecution on the church? And we'll get through some of this. And what does it even mean? What does Catholicism even mean? There's a couple hundred years of Catholicism. Did that have any, did it taint what we do today? These are questions we have to ask. We have to ask ourselves. And there's another reason why we have to ask ourselves these questions. We serve a God. We are saved by a God who is interested in time. Have you ever thought about that? We sit here at 9.10 in the morning. We, uh, we serve a God of order who created the heavens and the earth and created time itself. And in his mind and in his master plan... He created the church. How does all that fit? That is, that is a huge universal question, isn't it? And most of us, quite honestly, go about our day. We get up in our routine and we get up at, you know, 5 or 5.30 or 7 or whenever we get up and we go about our day and we brush our teeth and we go off to work or we go off to take care of the kids and, you know, and all of that. And, and how many of those kinds of days have passed? to get us where we are, and yet we are not necessarily focused on, hey, man, we got to work and make sure the church is, is uh, healthy and functional today. How did it get to be where we are sitting today? Does that make sense? Not really, but we'll, we'll try. Okay? <clears throat> um, the text that I'm primarily using is a great text. Uh, if you want to pick it up, um, it's the most recent edition. It's the third edition. Pastor Rod gave this to me. Um, but it's called Church History in Plain Language. Um, it's, a, it's not a difficult read. But if you're interested in this, that's primarily the source, sort of the textbook that we'll use for this class. Um, and I've, I've quoted it directly a couple of times, not in this lesson, um, but in later lessons. So if you want to pick that up, you can. Um, obviously, there's one other piece. I'll give you a caveat to this class. Um, you know, when I've taught through books like you know Malachi or First Corinthians or James or Hebrews or some of the books that I've taught through, um, it's obviously a book-centered class. Well, we are a Bible-teaching church, so I'm not going to get away from the Bible. I want to, I want you know, in case you're freaking out about that right now, there's going to be a lot of Bible still, okay? And because that's what the church has relied on. Um, to get us to get us here today. So hopefully everybody has notes now. Anybody not? Awesome. Let's let's dive. Alright, so some questions. I always like to start classes with questions. Um, I'm still annoying, but even when I was younger, I was more annoying. I loved to be that kid who was like, oh, you know, Pythagorean theorem A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Why? Those were the wrong questions to ask. Um, but I asked them anyway. We need to know why. Why study church history? Why do we see fit to have this class? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Many Christians today study from or suffer from historical amnesia. We've forgotten 
who we are, where we've come from, who our church is, where it comes from, and what kind of sacrifice, what kind of, um, you know, we sing the song Ancient Words, right? I love that song. You know, there's blood on every page. Guys, there literally is. We're going to go through some of these time periods, and we're going to be refreshed on, oh my goodness, that Bible that I could go to the store and just pick up right now without any, any worry, and I can... You know, do I want a NASB? Do I want an ESV? Do I want an electronic? Do I want a leather-bound or a paperback or whatever? Guys, that is, it has been absolutely fought for for, for us here today uh, to have in our laps. And, and I think there's a great responsibility. Um, I don't think. I know there's a great responsibility for us because of it. So the focus is going to be here. It's going to be on the time between the apostles and their own day. Um, to today. And for most Christians, that's one giant blank. Um, I, we could sit here and rehearse every book of the Bible, and, and, and then, and, you know, many here would be able to go Genesis to Revelation, um, as one of our young men did on awards night in, in Awana, which has still made an impression on me. Um, the other piece to this is that, um, you know, I might even be able to go, okay, the law, the books from Genesis um, to, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the first five books, okay, that was Moses written, and that might have been in a certain time period, and, you know, then we have the, you know, the Chronicles and the Samuels and so forth, and the Kings and the Judges, and that took place during a certain amount of time and space, and we got to the books of poetry, right, we've gotten to you know, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and so forth, and why, you know, we, we might even be able to put that in chronological order and time and space, but then, after Revelation, now what? There are no books of the Bible. Why did God see fit to end it at Revelation? Have you ever thought about that? Why not continue on adding some books so that it might provide more directions. Sure, certainly there are, you know, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit it helped inspire Scripture, right? We understand that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Um, but why did he see fit to close at Revelation? Well, I, I want this class to show that a little bit, and you're going to see why. It's only under God's protection that he saw fit to end the canon as it was <clears throat> The Old Testament is full of reminders of God's interest in time. I want to show you this this morning. Um, some of you have these scriptures, you know, even in your homes or in your, you know, in your kitchen or on your refrigerator or whatever. Well, you know what? God does care about time. When he established the Passover, for instance, for the children of Israel, it was to remember. Remember this? It was to recall. He says, and you can follow this in your own copy of the Bible, it's Exodus 13, 8. I'll read this one for us this morning. Tell, you shall tell your sons that day, saying, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder to you on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. It was to remind the people they were to remember what God had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt. Now I want to ask you something. 
Okay, this is a bit of a, a history question. How do we remember, you know, even in our own lifetimes, okay, think about this, um, our children's birthdays. Go back a little bit further, your own birthday or Christmas celebrations. How do we remember even, let's go back a little bit further, you know, moms, dads, grandparents, and maybe generations past, and this is where I want your participation. What devices, what things do we do to remember? What are some traditions? What are some things that we do? A lot of it is just for our own enjoyment, but it serves dual purpose. Pictures. Pictures. Very good. I was hoping that would come up. Anybody have pictures? Good. I do too. Although, I will confess, because Amy is here this morning, that I took probably that many. I am not good at it. I don't like it, necessarily. I don't like even being in pictures. But, pictures are great historical evidence, aren't they? You have pictures on your home and your wall. We have some of all three kids or, you know, my, our maybe in my wedding or whatever. And you walk by them and it reminds you of that day and that time, doesn't it? What else do we have? Calendar. Calendar. I was hoping that one would come up. <laughs> How many of you have a calendar on your desk or on your phone or somewhere that you keep? I do. I live and die by mine. I, I absolutely do. I, I have to know what meetings and when and where, and now I love the calendar that I have because I can tell it. I don't even have to type it. I can just tell it. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in cloud somewhere, it captures the address, the time, the location, and who I'm meeting with, and it tells me when I got to be there. What is that important? Why is that important? Let's, we, I really want to kind of brainstorm this a little bit together. Well, we all know why, but we got to articulate it. We got to be able to explain it. Yeah, and brings order. Order. Good. Order, right? 10.30 comes after 9.30. Might sound silly, but guys, history is chronological. So we have to have some devices to keep us going from point A to point Z, right? So it has order. What else does our calendar do for us? Eileen, no. I, no, I was just going to say um, a lot of the older people kept diaries, and I have my grandmother's diary and my mother's diary and a lot of that stuff. You look back at that history, and it's you, you can tell what happened at what time, and it's beautiful. Yep, so that was the, the, the one of the others that I was hoping to make it out, journals and diaries. Journals and diaries, much of what you have in, in history as primary sources, a primary source is what? Come on now, think back to like eighth grade here. A first-hand knowledge, right? First-hand knowledge. So if we were brought into a courtroom, okay, if we were brought into a courtroom, if you have a witness who saw an event, is that more credible than a witness who didn't see it but heard about it? It is, right? You realize almost the entire New Testament are first-hand knowledge, first-hand primary sources of Christ. First-hand eyewitnesses. Go to 1 John. Let's go there real quick. This is one of my favorite passages of, of historiography in the Bible. This is free. This is not in your notes, as someone else likes to say. 
But I, I want to read the introduction in John's first epistle. Um, I, I want you to go ahead and read chapter 1. Someone read chapter 1 through uh, 4. And this is to Eileen's point. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Pause there, Brian. What descriptions did he use right there? Touched, saw, heard. Touched, saw, heard, seen. Guys, this is what we use. At, this is how God created us in his image to be able to identify what's real and what's not. When you see it, if I can't see it, I want to hear it. If I can't hear it, I want to... Touch it. touch it. If I can't touch it, I want some other version of those five physical senses. Does that make sense? Go ahead, Brian. Keep going. <clears throat> and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Pause there again. We have testified. Testified. I brought up that courtroom... Um, this, is a, this is a liturgical word. This is a word that is, if you bring me in and put my hand on the good book, that I will tell the truth that what I saw and heard and touched was real and accurate and true. This is John's way of bringing out in Scripture that has been eternalized in our word, in your copy here, that what he saw, what he heard, what he touched, I will testify to the truth and accuracy of all of that. Isn't that great? Amen. Brian, will you keep going? Uh, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. All right, there's two more key words in this. Okay, and if you were to go in and take notes in this and... and um, and try to discern the meaning and the word from this, you have to notice the word proclaim. Mm -hmm. What does the word mean? What is that? That's an underlinable, circleable word. What does it mean? To tell. To, to tell, to shout. Much of history is history because it was verbalized. It was verbalized. This is another word that you can put in your note. And here's why. At the end of this class, you have notes. If, you, if someone tomorrow in your coffee hour or wherever said to you, hey, what'd you do in class? And you're like, oh, it was this history lesson. <laughs> and, you're like, and you're like, oh, what was it about? If you didn't have your notes, how would you recall what you learn from what from memory. from memory and then from there you would proceed to tell this person what what you learned you explained it is it pretty accurate yeah to the best of your ability much of history is what we call oral history okay and it might be a person who's telling it and another person recording it. Or it might be the same person who's telling it and then his children tell it and then his children tell it and then his children tell it. And from generation to generation, and what's interesting about that is as it survives generation, 
it actually um, verifies its accuracy. Okay? And, and that's an interesting thing, an interesting component about history. The second part, the second word that we've got to see this, is, that Brian read for us, is in verse 4. These things we, what? Right. Right. So we is not individual, it is, or it's not singular, it is plural. plural. When you have more accounts that confirm, multiple accounts that confirm an event. Now, I want to bring you back to this class, all right? Let's pretend a dozen of you tomorrow, I can't even imagine this, but like a dozen of you are out tomorrow and you're at your coffee hour or at your lunch break or whatever and some people ask you, Hey, what'd you do in class? And you're like, oh, had this history class. But in your back pocket, all 12 of you had your notes. Whoa. I know, you laugh. It won't happen. But just pretend with me. Just pretend with me that you had your notes. And you're like, oh, here, here's what we did. And you pull it out. And you share with that individual or all those people there at that coffee hour, and you hand it to them, is it going to be accurate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's how many people in this class? Let's say 45, maybe 40, 40-ish. I can't, I'm not going to try to count right now. But all of us have the same notes. And it's in the same time and place. It happened at the same time and place. What does that do to the accuracy of what was taught in the class? Does it enhance it? Yeah. Absolutely. Guys, that's what you have in your lap. That's what you have in your lap in Scripture. John is careful to use the plural we, and then the next description, what did he do? He didn't just tell it, he what? He wrote it. And in God's providence, and through his inspiration, helped preserve the accuracy so that roughly right here, what you have in your laps, right around 90-ish A.D., between 70 and 90 A.D., is accurate, and it's preserved. Brian, then Rachel. Um, you know, for us that went to Israel, and we went to Capernaum, and we went to these cities, it's mentioned in the, in the Bible. It verified to us, hey, this is real. Yeah. This place is real. This is where our Lord ministered for three years, right here. And it's just, it's amazing. It just becomes alive. So on that, I want to I want to make a comment because I'm going to get into one of the historical ages here pretty soon. It's in the third one here, the first attack, yeah. the first attack on the church of God, on Christ's church, was that Christ wasn't real. And we'll go through that a little bit this morning. Rachel. I don't want to geek out too hard, but even how in planners, right, when we meet with people, they verify. Yeah. Right? Even if it's not their planner, they verify. And yep. there's so many theologians that were not believers, not biblical theologians, right. that um, spoke of Jesus and the miracles. And they were not even followers of Jesus. And yep. there's like five off of the top, top of my head that I can think of that it's just so cool to see how... God uses unbelievers even further to testify of uh, yep. Jesus and his miracles. It's, it's great. And guys, I'm going to give you more names than you care um, as we go through this class. But there are so many. And when we get into the Roman Catholic period, one of the ways that God used it was through the Pope. Um, and, and bishops after bishop and monk after monk who were not necessarily um, 
believers. Um, I would contend that some are based on their writings, but use them to preserve his word meticulously. <clears throat> Pretty amazing. Well, yeah, Jeff. You just wanted to contrast this accurate history with secular history. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. What we learn in school changes. When I was a child, I was taught Christopher Columbus was a hero, was really a yeah. good man. My grandchildren are being taught that he was some kind of imperialistic jerk that uh, yeah. just came to conquer. History is written by people who have let their own emotional, political, biblical or a non-biblical understanding taint history and it gets rewritten. This yeah. is an eyewitness superintended by God it's a great in, point. In, in making it something we can trust. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, especially as Americans, and I'll get, when we get to some of the later histories, especially um, in the age of science and reason, which is where most of our founding fathers, governmental fathers, um, bring in their political ideas and where we even get democracy itself, you're going to see um, an actual intentional um, misuse of history to really to govern and to create what, what, what they want and ultimately, and you know, we'll get to that. So there's, there's secular history which can be twisted and manipulated um, to become something that we want it to be, where there's spiritual history, biblical history, that number one is the only thing that we have that's self-evident. There is nothing else that is written on this earth anywhere that's not self-evident, Keenan. To piggyback on Jeff, what yeah. do they want to do? They want, if they can get rid of the history, because we learn from history, we see what happens in the past. A Great society point. of gays and lesbians dies. And, yeah. But they want to get rid of that history so that people can't see that and they can lead us astray. Keenan, that's a great point. So this is why, and I want to go back to this point, okay? That's a very good point. Guys, know your history. Know it. Be able to defend it. I'm going to give you scriptures later on that as believers... Um, we're not asked to defend the faith. We're required to defend the faith. I, I think of Ezra 10, 7, therefore setting his heart, like in other words, dialing his heart in, setting it at, you know, like your thermostat at, for me, you know, 65 degrees or 4 or colder if I can. Okay, but setting it there. Why? That he may teach all Israel the scriptures. Like, know it and be able to teach it. Be, know it, understand it, be able to teach it. If nothing else, to our kids, right? Generation to generation to generation, just as God instructed Israel here. Guys, we, we are in a tumultuous time period. You know this. That, that's why they're attacking the colleges. They're attacking yeah. the Absolutely. schools. Because they want to change that thinking and that ideology right. at a young age. Keenan, you couldn't have hit the nail on the head better. Where do you change history? You change it in the classroom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, you change it in the classroom. Thankfully, thankfully, because of the way history is recorded, because of just how God created time, there are multiple resources. And there are some good ones. There are, you can find the truth. Obviously, it starts here, right? And, and, but there are sources, there are godly men and women that have been preserved throughout the ages 
whose intent was to pass on generation to generation unadulterated, untainted faith, untainted scriptural faith. We have that. We have that ability. And God will still be faithful. Right. I think sometimes we get really... It doesn't really depend on us. to remember, like, right. God will still win this war. We already know how yep. it ends, you know? It's a great point. It, it doesn't depend on us, right? Thankfully, it doesn't, or we would be even more... Yeah, but it does, because we need to do our part. There's, we can't just be fat, dumb, and happy, and then think that God's going to work the planet. And when, and when I say that, Keenan, I mean that by God says he will build his church. God says he will preserve his word. We can take him at that, and he will do it. And so for... Christianity to you know continue from generation to generation that is God's work however we have a responsibility in that and I think that's what you're saying yeah which is we ought to know scripture we ought to be able to defend it we ought to be able to teach it to our kids to our our neighbors and and so on and so forth so there's a there's the there again it's where God's sovereignty where it meets our responsibility um, and, and that one, thankfully, is a pretty easy one to, to identify. There are imperative after imperative, command after command in Scripture for us. Um, I'm never going to finish this class, and that's okay. I love this stuff, and I really want you to keep participating. So anytime, jump in, all right? Um, any other thoughts or anything before I go on? Eileen. Go ahead. I'm Keenan. You know, Satan wants to go after our children. Look at everything that's happening right now. Yeah. He's oh, going yeah. after the children with, with the shots. He's going after the children with the uh, identity thing. Yeah. In the schools, everything is backwards. He's after our children. He knows where to go. And he yes. It's even said. If, so one of you, um, I can't think of the exact phrase, but tie a millstone around your neck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, in Matthew. Yeah, that, that you lead even one of the least of mine astray, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea. That's pretty serious. Um, so one more, one more piece here. One more just example, guys, and this is, again, it's not exhaustive. God cared about history, cares about time. Exodus 16.33. He said also, and this is related to, obviously, they're, they're wandering through the wilderness, right? It's famous. All of our youngest kids know about this story. But God provided, and he provided food. He provided water. Remember when Moses struck the rock and water flowed, and, and every morning they were able to go gather food called manna. Remember this? In the wilderness. And, and as a result, God commanded them in Exodus 16.33, and he said, take a jar. And put an omerful, I don't know what an omerful is, but it is some kind of measurement, of manna in it. And place it before the Lord. Why? To be kept throughout your generations. Anybody have any heirlooms? Anything that you've kept from, you know, just as a reminder of a great-grandfather or a reminder of your baptism or a reminder of um, a school event or, you know, a victory at a tournament. or Like we keep things, don't we? To remember? Well, there's a purpose. God would have his people be reminded. He would have his people be reminded about his providence, his protection, his plan. And thankfully, it's been carefully recorded and preserved in scripture. So that several thousand years since Moses, we can recall the event with amazing accuracy 
And James has, and I, put, I had this in my prayer earlier, and I love this about the word. He says, so that you can receive the word implanted. Implanted is an agricultural word. Farmers, what's that mean? You put something in the ground, what's happened? Grows. It sprouts, doesn't it? Well, when you put the word implanted in you, spiritual growth results. Spiritual things happen. And James says that receive the word implanted because it's able to do what? Save. Save. So all of these things, again, that have been preserved and recorded through history. Here's a, here's a wacky time in history. Super wacky. You think it's crazy now? Well, the age of Jesus and the apostles. Christianity's roots go back into Jewish history long before the birth of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus of Nazareth, however, who attacked established Judaism and brought a renewal movement into history's light early in the first century. I want you to think about this. Who were the political and religious leaders of Jesus' day? What two groups? Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus very kind to them. No. Call them sons of their father, the devil. Call them a brood of vipers. I mean, I, we're just scraping the surface here. Right? Those were the Jewish foundation of the time. Christ went after them. And, you know, and you think of, this has been quoted recently because Pastor Rod's series on the kingdom you know, Christ is entering in on, on you know, the triumphal entry, right? The, the palm leaves and all the fun things that are recorded there in that section. And, and he says before he enters Jerusalem, 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 if you what? Only knew the day of your visitation. If you knew the day of your visitation. In other words, you should have known. And it was recorded in history past. It was recorded in the Old Testament. And they should have known. And instead, they didn't know. And of course, we know the calamity that follows. And ultimately, provided for our own salvation, right? They called it... Okay, so I'm getting back to the notes here again. So he attacked their Jewish, their Jewish establishment. And after his crucifixion, and I think this, I had to put this in here, under a Roman official, Pontius Pilate, that also, by the way, fulfilled prophecy... Jesus' teaching spread throughout the Mediterranean era. It spread like wildfire. And I want you to think about this. In history, and I, I, I'll give you example after example. In general, when the leader of a movement died, the movement died shortly thereafter. Uh, there, are, there are example of example throughout history. Christianity... Not even close. It spread like wildfire. Why? Go back to the day of Pentecost. Go back to all the evidences, all the things that God and his master plan that he provided. Christianity spread like wildfire across the Mediterranean and even into India. So after his crucifixion, a Roman official, interestingly enough, and by the way, I, I think this is really interesting too. The first empire, so to speak, or the first political institution that became a Christian institution was the very institution that condemned Christ to his death. Did you ever think of that? Only 
only again in our religion, and we'll get more to this, I, I just think God has such an amazing sense of humor. Um, it's actually not all that humorous, it's ironic, maybe that's a better word. So after his crucifixion, under Pontius Pilate, a Roman official, Jesus' teachings spread throughout the Mediterranean area, spread like wildfire. Um, the Roman government, in, in their, on all their wisdom, wanted to squash this Christian, Christian rebellion, right? And uh, in doing so, they created what's called the, the Great Diaspora, or the Great Spreading Out of, of Judaism. And went, when they spread and went out from Jerusalem, across Israel, across the Mediterranean, as far west as Spain, as far east as, you know, as recorded as possibly even India, guess what they took with them? Christianity. It's pretty amazing. And then there's this guy named Paul. You heard of him before? You could go to the back of your Bible right now, and probably one of my favorite maps is in there, and it shows Paul's three main journeys. Where did that guy go? All over. And he came with just a very soft message, right? Paul, little old Paul, concerned about, you know, preaching. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. No way, man. Go to 1 Corinthians. Where is the debater of the age? Come on, bring him. Where's the academic of the age of the time? Where's the kings? Bring it on. I'll, I'll take on anybody. That was Paul's mentality. And, and as a consequence, guess what happened to Christianity? Spread like wildfire. So an apostle named Paul came especially influential. And it was even more important, and I, I want you to catch this, and we'll, we'll hit this a little bit, Paul and the other disciples, the other apostles, had different um, geographies that they covered. And, and when Paul met back up with, especially Peter, it became apparent to Peter and the others, John and others, that, oh man, yeah, uh, Christianity is meant to be able to spread outside of Judaism. It is truly uh, a religion that should be sent to the ends of the earth. It's, it, we'll get there later. But it was a confirmation. Again, Paul goes this way, apostles go this way, and then they meet in certain churches like Ephesus. Um, and, and it's like, oh yeah, we all confirm that God has had the same message. He has the same purpose for all of us. It's amazing, guys. We got This is why I want us to have an, a, an historical perspective as well. So that's the age of, the, of Jesus and the apostles, all right? It was stressed in this age, the gift of salvation was for all men, and thus led Christianity's emergence from Palestinian Judaism to a position as a universal religion. Now, I want to tie that in with the next age, the age of Catholic Christianity. All right, that sounds like an absolute oxymoron when you put Catholic and Christian together. The root of Catholic, or of the, of the meaning, or the, 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 what do I want to say? Yeah, the meaning, or the definition of the word, is that it's universal. I want you to think of it that way. I don't want you to right now, in this particular age, the age of Catholic Christianity, to think of it as, um, you know, Hail Marys, and penance, and, you know, the Catholic religion. I want you to think of it as... Universal, a, a guy that was really critical in the spread of Christianity, who it's not clear if he was a believer or not, was a guy named Ignatius. And Ignatius is the one who coined the term Catholic. 
because what he observed was the spread of Christianity had become universal. It had become widespread. And so that's where the root of the, the term that we now know, that's where it came from. Don't know if you knew that, but now you do. So in this period, Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire and probably as far east to India. Christians realized that they were a part of a rapidly expanding movement. They called it Catholic. This suggested that it was universal in spite of pagan ridicule and, and Roman persecution, and it was the true faith in opposition to all perversions of Jesus' teachings. In other words, at this point, and I'll get into this, you start to introduce Gnosticism. You start to get in other pagan um, related to Christianity uh, influences. You know, Paul t writes uh, in some of his early writings, like in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, you know, he writes and he warns to them, I don't want you to be swayed from the truth. Some of the Greek influence, the intellectual influence, and some of the Roman uh, influence was starting to happen, and Paul is warning them in this age, don't get distracted. I think of scripture after scripture, I, I don't want you to be uninformed as they are. We'll get to this, some of those verses when we get to this time period. But this was a great period in which teachers like Paul and others were refocusing Christians back to the Word of God, and, um, and we started to have copies of the Word, which we'll see as well, um, and, and that was also what helped spread Christianity. So, if there's a takeaway from this time period, it says, Catholic Christianity, therefore, was marked by a universal vision, by orthodox beliefs, and I'll explain orthodox here in a second, and by an Episcopal church government. So, Episcopal is a Catholic kind of word that we generally associate there, which is church governance. Okay? And orthodox is not a scary word. It kind of is today, but I don't want it to be. Orthodox is really just a strict adherence to doctrine. Is, in other words, you don't want to be unorthodox. Right? We do not want to be unorthodox in how we celebrate communion or how we conduct baptism. Right? We want to be Orthodox. We want to stick to the, the strict teachings of Scripture. Does that make sense? So I want to use the word in its general sense. Don't think of Orthodox Catholicism or Orthodox Judaism. Just think of the word by itself. Okay? Pause for any questions here. We are one-fourth of the way through the eight time periods. All right? The age of Christian Roman Empire, one of my favorite ages to study by far, um, the Emperor Constantine, you hear of this guy? Yeah, he was pretty important. Is one of the major figures of Christian history. After his conversion, Christianity moved swiftly from the seclusion of the catacombs to the prestige of the palaces. In other words, it went from kind of being a, 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 you know, a religion that, hey, you better not profess it because you're probably going to get thrown in prison, to now being accepted um, by the government itself, by Constantine. Because why? He was Christian. The movement started the fourth century as persecuted as a persecuted minority. It ended the century as the established religion of the empire. Could you imagine that? I, I mean, think about that for a second. Living, and this is going to happen again, but even in a much, much, much better, cleaner, purer way. 
Imagine living in a Christian empire ruled by a Christian, a, just a, a man who loves God. When have we ever seen that? Three years ago. Yeah, I, that's debatable. <laughs> Highly debatable. But he was the most. He was one of the most. I'm not even going to go there. Pro-life <laughs> presidents. He wasn't a believer. He's not a believer. But let's go. Here's what I'm going toward. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dad. George Washington. G-Dub, that would be one, um, although he did not make it a mandated religion, but, but yes, Jeff. I mean, we can even talk about Constantine here. It was more he legalized Christianity than he was such a strong doctrinal yeah. orthodox proponent. He was actually agnostic too, but go ahead. Yeah, he, he legalized it and actually ended up mandating it, kind of bit him in the rear later, um, but... We have the millennium coming. We have when Christ will rule the rod and iron and all sin is suppressed. Um, that's exciting. We've had a couple leaders who have tried it. All right. Thus, Christian church was joined to the power of the state and a moral responsibility for the whole society. That was really what I wanted to get out of this. He really truly tried to govern with Christian morality. And that was what defined his law. And it worked for a very long time. To serve the state, it refined its doctrine and developed its structure. Monks arose to protest his secular, this secularization of the faith. This is really where we start to see a division in the Catholic Church. But when the barbarians, the barbarians, these are people, and you know how they got their name, barbarian? Anybody know? I'll tell you if you don't. Okay, so... Um, when Roman military especially started to march across Central and Northern Europe, there were these tribes that had wacky languages that they could not understand. And literally to them, it sounded like bar, 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 bar. And so they called them barbarians. And that's where the term comes from. It was, that, it was such a wacky, you know, savage language, and they were not, you know, nice to each other. Um, Called them barbarians. So the Christian church was joined to power and state, um, restructured to serve law, to serve, um, a, a, what do I want to say, a working state with Christian morality or principle. Monks arose to protest the secularization, and then the barbarians shattered the government in the western half of the empire. Even the Benedictines enlisted as missionaries to the pagans. In other words, Rome spread too far, too thin. Constantine's, um, you know, the Constant Constantine Empire uh, just could not really govern how far it had spread, and and so they lost their ground, especially in Central and Northern Europe. Then we have the Dark Ages. You ever heard of this? Dark Ages, the Dark Times. Um, this was a dark time in church life. Uh, Europe owes more of the Christian faith. Uh, owes more to the Christian faith than more, most people realize. And I, I think this is interesting. You think we are wayward in terms of our morality? I mean, the things that I mentioned this morning, guys, Europe is so far advanced um, beyond what we are in terms of the sense of morality. Um, it is so liberalized. It is, it is so messed up. Um, but anyway... 
this was a time where Europe really owes its organization, especially its political organization, to the Christian faith. When the barbarians destroyed the Roman Empire in the West, in, in areas that we would now call like Germany, um, Austria, um, even France, um, kind of Western and Northern France, Northeastern France, that was where it was really ended, Roman Empire was ended. The church took the lead in rule by law, the pursuit of knowledge, and the expressions of culture. Everything was recorded in the local church. Births, marriages, land purchases, everything. The record that we have, I think this is interesting and it's important for us to know because our own history is recorded here as well. The church in this time period for about a thousand years was responsible for the recording of history. If you had a bank account, the church knew about it. It was that was the central, most easy economical place uh, to uh, to to keep the records. Birth certificates, marriage certificates. It was all um, recorded there. The church took the lead at this time period. The underlying concept was Christendom which united empire and church. Um, this is also the age where um, a, a historical term called um, divine rule or divination was, uh, was, was created, which is a king became a king not just only because of his lineage, because he was the son of the prior king or whatever, but it was rule by divine right. It was ruled by, hey, this is God's will for John to, you know, John the first to rule, or Philip the second, or whoever. <clears throat> it began under Charlemagne. You've heard that name before. Another important name in church history. And it began in the 8th century, which is the 700s. But the popes slowly assumed more and more power until Innocent II, we're going to talk about this dude, uh, he created a lot of problems, taught Europe to think of popes as world rulers. Later centuries, however, saw the popes corrupted by power and increasingly militant reformers cry out for change. Thank the Lord that the next age, which we will not talk about this morning, is the Reformation. And we're going to study that. And before we get there, we actually have a day that we celebrate every single year that has been absolutely corrupted in... United States, but is the, the, it's called Reformation Day. We call it by something else now. Um, but when is Reformation Day? It is Halloween. It is, it is actually Halloween. It's October 31st. Um, All Saints Day is not, and we'll get to this too, but the history is actually the celebration of the reforming of the Christian church. But what I'm hoping here and what my goal is in this and, you know, and Lord willing, I want to bring some of this to life. I want, I, want, I mean, th this class, not just a history class, this is a Christian, this is a church history class, the history of where we sit right now. And so um, my goal here is, obviously, we're going to hit major topics, major historical topics that bring us to, to where we are today and why we have policy in and out of the church, um, but that's that's our goal. Let it be a time of discussion, um, obviously organized, but I really hope that by the end of it, 
we look back and we go, man, I have a much greater understanding and awareness of how God has preserved his church in spite of evil men, in spite of the, you know, several thousand years that have transpired, a couple thousand years that have transpired since the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection. So that's, that's our goal. Let me close with prayer and then we'll get you out of here and you can go get the good seats in the other room. <laughs> All right. Our God and our Father, we just are admiring how you have kept the church. Um, we understand that the command is the same now, yesterday, and forever, that your church is your bride and that you will have her be pure. Help us as we look at history to be impressed upon by how you have loved and cared for your church. We know that Christ is the very cornerstone. And so help us, Lord, to live in a manner worthy by which we are called and help us to be effective servants in your church. And thank you, Lord, for keeping it alive and well in 2023. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.